All right, Boker Tov, welcome to uh, the beginning of Masechet Yoma and back to the Bavli, which, as you know, is a relief for me. Um, the uh, question about which Masechet we are going to do today um, is, you know, the Masechetot in Shas are organized in the Mishnayot, although the Gemara, the first staff of many Masechetot, try to understand why this Masechet comes after the previous one. Um, the real answer is, is that they're organized based on size, size defined by number of Prakim. So Shabbos is the largest, and then Erevin, and then Tzachim. Now the interesting thing is, is that that um, the way uh, the Gemara, if you take a look at the normal Bavli edition, the next Masechah is Rosh Hashanah, is because um, although in the Mishnayot, and that's the Masechah is Yoma, which is why we're doing it, but once you have Yoma, Sukkah, and Rosh Hashanah, which is the order in the Mishnayot, according to the, uh, it's so easy to slightly reorganize that and have everything go according to the, to the you know, the Yom and Tobu of the year. You start with Pesach, or Shabbos and Erevin, and then you start with Pesach because you start the uh, Yom and Tobu with Nisan, which is how it is in the Torah, right? As far, all the regalim start with Pesach, and then Rosh Hashanah, Yoma, Sukkah, perfect. Okay, but the order of the Mishnah, that's, that's why the Bavli, you know, in the normal edition is ordered that way. But in the Mishnayot, the real order is that Yoma comes first. Of course, Stalin comes after Yoma as well. So exactly why we're following the order of the Mishnayot, not the order of the Bavli, um, is not 100% clear to me. I suppose once we're already in the edition of Psachim, we wanted, once there was a decision to do Stalin. We want to finish Shkallim, so we shouldn't have to go back to that edition, even though, again, technically Shkallim comes after Yoma. But now that we're in this volume, which is normally Rosh Hashanah, Yoma, Sukkot, organized together, somehow the decision was to go according to the actual order, which has Yoma coming first. So that's what we will do. So the um, the and the, uh, the center that we have, are those from the original editing? Yeah, presumably. That's the assumption. Right. I mean, the, div- the, the division into individual Mishnayot is assumed to be much later, but the individual Prakim is assumed to be early. You know, again, I'm not sure the exact scholarship on that, but that's definitely what's assumed. Um, I should also mention, one thing I should also mention, you know, that after Yoma, Yoma is about uh, 90 daf, I forget exactly how many, um, and after that, 80-something, 80 88, um, and after that, uh, pretty much every single Masechet that we're going to be left with, uh, with the one exception of Sukkah, um, is, one, is, about, is about one month worth. So this will be three months, Rosh Hashanah is about two months, and then we're going to do a lot of Masechus, each one which will be almost exactly a month. And uh, we have about a year left, 11 months left, till we finish Moed. Yes? We had a situation at the end of Kachim where the uh, order of the Mishnah was not the order that we followed in the document. Yes, I can't explain. You have, to, you have to figure out, you know... You have to ask the original organizer of the Dafyomi um, why that was. But anyway, this is what we are doing. This is this, is, this year's uh, thing? This year, yeah. Yeah, so. the office. Exactly. 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 Yeah. Right, right, right. Probably the same, forget the whole Yeah. Now, it is interesting. They do, right. <laughs> yeah, that's how come it didn't get started earlier but exactly for that reason everybody was meeting in Nudnik but um, but no what is fascinating is is that um, is that one minute wow wait 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 I'm just looking at this now they really go according to the order because after Yoma they do Sukkah and Beitzah and then Rosh Hashanah which is the actual right order based on the Mishnayot so here they really and that doesn't fit with my theory about not having to switch uh, uh, books because they're going to have to go to Beitzah and then come back to this volume so they really fit, follow the order of the Mishnayot okay let's get started alright so Shivat Yamim so seven days before Yom Kippur, they would start, which is what day is seven days before Yom Kippur? So Gedaliah, right? The day after Rosh Hashanah, so two days of Rosh Hashanah. So starting, so, right, well, that's true too. Starting right after Rosh Hashanah, they would separate the se- beginning of the Aserah Shumei They'd be, separate the Kohen Gadol from his house. And they put him into the Lishkat Parhedrin. We'll see why it's called Parhedrin. But this basically was a chamber that was right at the borderline of where the, um, of where the Ezra Yisrael began. Basically, we'll do it like this again, oriented north. We have it there. Like, this is the opening here. This is the Ezra Nashim. This is the Ezra Yisrael. Okay, so the Lishkat Parhedrin was basically a Lishkat. It was like right here, right, right at the borderline. 
between, you know, between the Ezra Nishim and the Ezra Yisrael, or some say whatever, with a little bit more over, we'll see about it. Anyway, it was right at the beginning there, um, and that's where he would say, stay for the whole week, Amish in the Azara. So there's a question exactly how do you sleep in, you know, yeah. whatever, in the Azara, so we'll see exactly technically why its status was whole, even though it was partly or fully in the Azara. But that's where he would stay um, for the week. Now, I should just mention something since we were talking about the structure of this, the Sechet. First of all, it is interesting that you've got, you know, um, the full, normally like the full complement of, um, of Bavli and of Rishonim on it, even though the first seven Prakim really deal with Avodah Shem Kippurim, which is more Corbin related, until you get to the last one, which deals with the eighth, which deals with Yom Kippur itself, and um, Kuva, also the Inuyim of Yom Kippur, not eating, not drinking, and so on. But of course, we know, once you have something that's a part of the Bavli, like you have Zvachim and Menachos and so on, um, you know, then the Rishonim actually do have, uh, you know, their uh, full, you know, sort of give it their full attention. Uh, but again, it is interesting that seven out of eight of the prakim are devoted to things that are not so uh, relevant. You have that, uh, in addition to Kachim, for example, you have it by Nida. Most of that Masechet is, devel- is devoted to things that are not relevant, but there are sections that are, and you wind up having, really, certainly at the least the full Rashi Tosus, if not the other Rishonim, um, on the Masechet, once the Babli decides to discuss it, you know, sort of contemporary relevance or not. The other thing, though, I should mention is, is that there are eight prakim. Right, and it's worth pointing out that we start by saying you have seven days of preparation culminating in the last day of Yom Kippur, right, which is the eighth day of those seven days. So you hear too, you have seven prakim that we are uh, discussing the Avodah leading up to the eighth barak, which is the one that talks about at least Yom Kippur as we observe it, as opposed to the Avodah Yom Kippurim. So there's an interesting type of a structure there. Similarly, in um, the beginning of Shabbat, you have the, you know, six prakim in the beginning. It starts about things you do on Erev Shabbat and being sure you're not carrying things and gets into all these prakim about carrying. And it's only finally in the seventh parak that you finally get to the listing of the 39 Malachos, which if it were you or me, that's where we would have started the, the, the Masechet by. But it seems like we're, it's done for the sake of the structure of six leading up to the seventh, right, which is Shabbat. You have your six days, the seventh, that, now we're going to talk about the real Shabbat. And Rambam, um, Rambam um, 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 repeats this. In the Mishnah Torah, you have six introductory prakim, and only in the seventh parish does he start discussing the Lamatet Malachot. So I think it's interesting to note, I don't know if anybody else has noted it, but I've noted it, that at least this moment, that here you have seven prakim leading up to the eighth, and you have seven days leading up to the eighth, which is Yom Kippur. Okay, so seven days before Yom Kippur, they would separate out the Koen Gadol from his house, and they would have him stay in this Lishkat Parhedrin, Umatkinin, and this would be a whole series of preparations, as we'll see, and we'll see why they did this. Umatkinin lo Koen Acher Tachtav, and they would prepare another Kohen to be a stand-in in case something would happen to him. So no pressure. But uh, if he would become Tamei, and the most likely concern of Tumai here, since they've got them all separate and protected, is that he would um, have seminal, seminal emission. No, not necessarily the Skan. I mean, that's true. Why didn't they just assume that the Skan could do it? But they would have, the Skan is a regular person who's like the vice Kohen Gadol. Okay, but this seems to be that not the person who normally was in that position. We can discuss that when we get to it in the Gemara. This would be somebody that would be designated as an understudy of potential stand-in if he would become invalidated, most likely because he would have a seminal omission. Um, now, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, they would prepare for him another wife in case his wife would die. Now, why does that matter for this halacha? The verse says, he should atone for himself and for his household. Now, we say, when you know, we normally assume Beito here means more metaphorically, like a family, Kohan, him, but no, literally it means that he has to be married, and the claim of those who is not married is invalid, which is a fascinating idea, I mean there's a general idea also that you know, about, about um, uh, like a Shriach Tzibur being married a person on the Sanhedrin being married that the idea of being married you know, allow, you know sort of takes a person out of their sort of self-centered uh, um, uh, reality, you know make um, you know, that they're that may become hopefully a little bit more empathetic, sympathetic oriented towards other people in their lives, it's not all about them, anyway Anyway, here it's based on a verse, but it is interesting to think about the parallels about so 
somebody that's operating on behalf of the Sibur, um, you know, and here he has to be married. Um, so therefore, you have to make sure that if his wife dies, he'll, be, he'll remain married. So they would do a, now of course, this is in the age of polygamy. Why could they just have married two wives? Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, but, um, but we'll see how they do it in the Gemara, that if one dies, the other one will automatically, like, be married on condition and will automatically step in. Amulo, they said to him, Im Kane, we'll see in the Gemara, Im Kane, Im the Dover Shelf. You're afraid she's going to die. We can worry that she'll die, that the, that the stand-in wife will die. And we should worry that, that should make a third wife. Then we should marry that she'll die. Now, of course, you could say the same about becoming invalid due to Tumar. Why don't we say Im the Dover Shelf? But the answer seems to be no. Tumar is something a little bit more likely to happen. So we're basically, the first position is we're going to be concerned about reasonable likelihoods of things. So the reasonable likelihood that you'll become Tamei is reasonable enough we're going to do a substitute that two people should become Tamei that's already far-fetched we're not going to be concerned about that but if you're afraid that the wife will drop dead that's much rarer that that will happen so you're already being concerned about far-fetched likelihoods you might as well be concerned that the second wife will drop dead and the third wife will drop dead so you have to take a reasonable approach and if you're taking the reasonable approach it's to have a stand-in for Tumma but not to be worried about that she'll drop dead I love that phrase English of ourselves <laughs> <laughs> Reductio ad absurdum. <laughs> but right, anyway. So the point about what's the chances that two eyes will drop dead, you know, it's like, it reminds me of, the, of this joke that I love, that this, uh, um, you know, actuary was always, like, so nervous whenever he would get on a flight because he said, I, I figured out the odds that there could be a bomb on the plane. And, like, you know, he was always like, uh, you know, he was always like a mess. And then once he was flying with his friend, and he was, like, calm as a cucumber. So his friend said, what happened? He said, said, yeah, he said, I figured out the odds of there being a bomb on the plane. It scared me to death. He said, but I tricked the system. He says, now I've got a bomb on the plane. What are there the chances of being too bombed? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> all right. Go ahead. Anyway, all right. So, all right. Let's take a look at that. <laughs> Tanan Hassan, we taught over there. In um, Parah, we just mentioned Parah at the end of Shkallam. She was yomim kodem straight of the Parah. Similarly, seven days before they would burn the paraduma, they would separate the Kohen out of his house to a chamber that was on the face of the Bira. We'll see what that means, but basically means the base of Mikdash. Tzvona Mizracha, northeast. So it would basically be roughly in the same area here, right? So this is northeast. Okay, although this, as we're going to find out, is in the Azara, okay, and this is going to be, this was more in the Azrat Nashim, so I don't know where it is, I mean, logically it should be this room, but anyway, in some of the various diagrams, they didn't exactly identify it, but it's somewhere near that area, it's also in the northeast, but it's not in the Azara proper, um... Uh, well, we'll see what it is. Space and Mikdash, let's say it means for now. The leash of space of Evan Heisen It was called the Chamber of Stone. The Laman Equate Shema Lisha Space Evan. Why was it called the Chamber of Stone? All the things they would do in the chamber and the um, would be all the vessels they would use would be out of the glalim which is basically dried up a cow dung which is something that they used to make yes which they used to make various vessels out of clairvonin stone and clairdama which is earth earthen but not earthen ware which is cheres because none of these things can become tamay Okay, and therefore, because it's the Paran, they want to make everything super tahor, you know, not even the possibility of becoming Tameh. Now, my time up. What is It's not cheres. It's unfired dirt. Not hard fired. dirt. It's not opposed to stone. Right. Basically, right. Mud. So like dried mud. mud, like sun dried mud. Right. Okay. My time what's the reason they would only use this? Even the Tulyom Kashabipara. Because we teach that a, somebody who had gone to the mikvah that day from a tumba, Tvul Yom, and not been totally tahor, actually would be kosher to do the paraduma. Not only would they be kosher, they would make, go out of their way to make sure that such a person would do the paraduma, which is quite ironic, but here's why. It's non, we taught in the Mishnah, in para. Mitamim hayu ha-kohen para. They would make tamay the kohen who would be burning the paraduma, who must be so and put him in the mikvah, and then have him start the avoda, the avoda start the, 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 the ritual of burning the para while he was a full yom, while he was still a little bit tummy. Why? I mean, okay, technically it might be okay, but to go out of your way to do it, why would they do this? In order to, you know, to sort of completely uproot the approach of the Sadiqim of the Sadducees, that a Paraduma could only be done by somebody who had been totally Tahor after the sun had set. 
so therefore, they made a point of showing the, like, the rabbinic approach over the Sadducees. It's pretty funny, like, of all the things, like, what would be the likelihood that you had to worry about one or the other? And normally the rabbis, you know, even if technically it's true, would normally say, you should do what somebody for. But here they found that it was important to make a point of showing the rabbinic approach over the Sadducees. One remember also that the Sadducees were the dominant, uh, you know, sort of sect in terms of the Kohanim and the Beis Hamikdash. We often forget that. I mean, so much when we read about the Beis Hamikdash and the Avoda in the Mishnayot, it always speaks about the, you know, Beistin's role in the Beis Hamikdash and the assumption that everybody is doing the sort of the, the you know the rabbinic approach. Although when we get to Yom Kippur, it's one of the places where you'll remember they take the Kohen Gadol aside and they make him swear that he's going to follow the rabbinic approach and not the Sadducee approach. But it is true from what we know from. Josephus and other sources that um, that the uh, that the Kohanim were a lot many of the Kohanim were Sadducees. What was the Sadducees so, approach again? Well, in general, they more um, you know sort of rejected um, either either fundamentally they rejected the Torah Shabbat or at least they had their own approach to Torah Shabbat which was not the classic rabbinic approach to Torah Shabbat They weren't Karaites, right? No, but there's in later there's like, there's like a lot of conflation of the two. You know, the later Karaites are sort of seen as modern day or whatever, you know, for people who lived with the Garrett, contemporary, you know, sort of um, um, manifestations of the Sadducees. But Sadducees did not as principally reject Torah Shabbat but they did have some fundamental differences with the rabbis in terms of some important, you know, interpretation. So anyway, so here they went out of their way, yes, um, they went out of their way for whatever reason. Oh, okay. There's no audio on this. There's no audio on this? All right. Um, okay. Having problems all right. So they went out of their way. Um, I'll try to. Uh, I'll try. I'll try to start that again. Um, they went out of their way with. Um, hold on. Now, now I lost my train of thought. This got things got to do its thing. Anyway. Um, um, okay. Whatever. Hold on. Yeah. They went out of their way to. Um, they went out of their way to um, to make sure that to to yeah I can't do two things at once. My wife tells me I think I can do two things at once, but I can't. All right, what? I don't know what the heck is going on here. All right, stupid thing. Hold on one second. Um, all right. So anyway, so yeah. So presumably, even though this was a trivial point, which never would have come up in practice, because you know normally even the rabbis would have wanted to make sure that everybody was taught for they maybe because the paraduma was such a high-profile type of a thing, they used it as an opportunity to sort of show their influence over that of the tzedukim, and therefore they made sure that the guy was tummy and that he was a true young. Now, because we were going to already do that and allow us that, ourselves that leniency in order to make a point, we had to counterbalance it with a lot of over-the-top stringencies. So therefore, so once we were doing that, the King Labor Bunnah, Clay Galon, Clay Abundant, Clay Abdama, we made sure that everything else was super stringent and was even, you know, the only vessels you would use, you know, while the coin was in that room were all these vessels that could not become impure. Gilodi Kabli Tumba that could not even become impure. This one leniency shouldn't allow us to treat it, you know, to treat it lightly in other matters. So we went over the top strict and if you read the Mishnahis and Para, it's crazy how over the top strict they were in all of the things leading up to the burning of the Paraduma in order to to emphasize how critical it was and you know and how machmir you had to be and not allow this one leniency to allow it to be undermined. Now even within that it's worth mentioning if you look at Tosvos, Tosvos says uh, even that was not as lenient as it seems to have been. Tosvos says We're not talking about biblical tumah. No, no, they would never have really allowed the coin to be really biblically tamay, even though technically, again, it would have been allowed. That even people that would eat korbanot, their begotten would be considered tamay. They would be super careful, and their begotten would be considered tamay for the coin gadol. So how could you imagine we would ever let the coin gadol become really tamay? That basically, the way, what it means that they would make him tamei is that they would touch him. They would touch him and say, "Go to the mikvah." And 
And since they touched him, and normally we would say the guy who did the paraduma had to be even, couldn't even come in contact with people, even the Kohanim who ate Korbanot, so the very touch was considered to make him Tamei, and that's what he went to the mikvah for. So the way Tozu says it, it's not like we started, you know, the leniency wasn't such a leniency, and actually quite the opposite. We already started with crazy stringencies. Even before we made him Tamei, we started with the assumption that if you come in touch, contact with anybody, even Kohanim who are eating Korbanot, that's going to make you Tamei. And then we said, okay, but we'll let you come in contact with one Kohen once, you know, to make you Tamei, and then you go to the mikvah, and then, you know, that'll be the leniency. So even the leniency wasn't such a leniency. Yes, sorry. Two questions. One, can a Tavoyom actually make something else Tamei? And second, is it Tavoyom even believing we're going to um, yeah, so both of those, are, uh, so the second answer is, I don't know, but I would assume not. And can Antonio make something else come No, he can make certain Corbano Pasul, he can't make something else come So, right, again, this is, um, but, but Tosos points out that even this idea that even making him Tzvuyom, even that is only a, a rabbinic, and, you know, again, it is ironic, as Charlie implicitly is asking, if the Tzadukim didn't believe in this rabbinic Tuma, then how much is this Motsi Yulivan Shel Tzadukim? So, it definitely raises Rabbinic a lot of questions. No, no, no. For a Kohen who is doing the para aduma, for him, everybody else on the planet is considered Kameh. For him. Okay? But it already starts from a crazy Chobrad. And so, then the question is a good question. How much is this really Motsi Yilivan Shel Tzedukim? Okay? So this Tosu tries to, but the, is so bothered by it, he tries to tone down the sense of this, of this passage, even though it's very hard to read it through Tosu's lens. Alright, so now back to the Gemara. So, now there, so obviously there's a parallel here with Paraduma. So first we have to point out the components of it. Number one, why was it called Clay of Vanim? Number two, I mean, why is it called Lishka Tzavadim? Number two, Maishna Tzafona Mizracha. Why was this chamber in the northeast? Kima the Chathasi, the Chathas Tuna Tzafona, since the Paraduma is called the Chathas. It's called the Chathas. Now, it wasn't actually a chathos. It wasn't slaughtered in the base of Mikdash. It was slaughtered on, um, you know, um, on, um, um, opposite the, you know, on a mountain opposite the base of Mikdash, facing the base of Mikdash. Uh, but nevertheless, it's called a chathos, and that affects its status in a number of halachot. And a chathos was, would be done in the north of the Mizbeah, right? Because it's the, that's where you check the chathos, on the north of the Mizbeah. It's seen by El Nocha, Pnei Omoei, and you also do it opposite Omoei, to King Allah, Rabban Alishka Tzafon Mizracha, so the Eidah, the Northeast Chamber, that it should sort of signify, symbolize two aspects of the Korban, meaning, when you are bringing the Chathos, right, and here you are, this is the base of Mitzvah, and it's on the Harabayas here, okay, and this is your Harabayas, okay, so you would do the Chathos on a mountain to the east, so that here, so here would be the Kohen, right, with his, with doing the Chata, doing the Chata, doing the Paraduma, and he's facing, right, on an opposite mountain, he's facing the base of Mikdash, and he sprinkles the blood towards the base of Mikdash, Okay, so he actually does this to the east of the base of Mikdash. It wasn't but. A normal Chata would be done at the north of the Mizbeach. So since it's called Chata, which signifies by normal Chata to the north, and since it's done to the east, you know, to the east, uh, and he sprinkles it towards when he actually does it, so the chamber we give him is a chamber in the northeast to signify those two directions, which are significant um, for the for the para aduma. So it's called this lishka because of the para aduma, even though we're now talking about kippur. It's a different lishka. It's a different lishka. He was in the lishka to Evan, which was in the northeast. And we're explaining why it was called Lishka to Evan and why it was in the Northeast. But it was a different Lishka, the one that the coin for the Par would do and the one that the coin got the coin for Yom Kippur. The coin for the Par would be not in the Ezra Israel. Okay? He would be more he would be in the Ezra Nashim. Okay, which we'll get to in a second right now. Let's take a look. Yes. So why does Rashi say That's what I'm saying. Here you are on Haramishka. That's that's called Haramishka. Right, Haram, which is Harazasim. Okay. Harazasim is to the east of Harbias? Yeah. Right. Okay, good. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> that's, that's where you would be. So it would not be in the north, it would be in the east. But since it's called the Chathas, and the Chathas is normally to the north of Inizbeach, that's why you have the concept of north relevant. Uh, but Haramishka is called Mishcha because of Mishcha. Because of oil. Yeah, because Zayat and Shaman, exactly. Okay. So, um, okay. Uh, five. My bira. Now, what does it mean? It would be Alpnei Habira. What's bira? I'm a rabbi by Barachan of Rabbi Yochanan. Malkum Ha'isa Baharabayis. Ubira Shmo. It was a place on Harabayis. Somewhere it was called bira. That's where it was. Again, not in the Azara. 
presumably in the Ezra Snushim, maybe somewhere else, even off of the, uh, uh, you know, out of the uh, temple itself, somewhere else on Harbayas. I'm Rabbi Yochanan, Magam, okay, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan, no, call him the Kulo, Kari Bira. No, Bira is not a place on Harbayas, or even a, a specific place in the Beit HaMikdash. Bira refers to the entire Mikdash. Shenemar Habira Sherachinot, the Bira, the like capital, the, the castle that I have prepared, is what David HaMelech said. So it just means why they call it Bira here is not clear. We actually had that phrase before. Sorfino Solifne Habira. You might remember when it talks about, yeah. you know, when it talks about Basar that was Hame that was taken out and you burn it, Lifne Habira. Um, so Bira sometimes is a phrase used for the day coming not the whole. Well, Bira, the term refers to the whole Beit HaMikdash. It doesn't tell you where in the Beit HaMikdash it was. What do you mean? It says they would have a place, Lisnei HaBira. It does not say where in the Beit HaMikdash. Okay. Now, um, it's not exactly clear. Yeah, I've been, I've been, but it says, I'll say, Bira Tzonu Yeah, Tzonu Mizraha. the northeast corner of the... Yeah, but is it the... Right, but is it the... Right, is it the Azara proper, the Ezra Nashim? The reason I keep on repeating that it's not the Azara itself is the... Is um, if you take a look at Tosfos, Umash Natsafonim is Racha. Tosfos says, "Im Tomar Milo Hayim Afrishim Nami Kol Gadol Tnei Yamitzvurim Rishka Zusha Pnei Abira." Right? The assumption is that there are different chambers. The Eshomet Elishka's Parah Hayikor Milo Elishka Beis Evan Kiyekid in a Hadu Beheikera Shekomasem Beheavanim. Okay, da 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 da. Inami. Okay, take a look. Inami. Three lines into that Tosfos. The Eshomet Mishum to Kol Gadol Yamitzvurim Rishka So Likdusha. Right, since all of the things he was doing was in the was in the you know in, not only in the Azara but even in the Heichal and in the Kodesh Kadashim, they wanted his chamber to be in the Azara. The part that's done out of the base of Mikdash, Okay, so here it tells us makes it very clear that this one, wherever it would be, it would be not in the Azara proper, so maybe it would be in the Azrat Nashim somewhere, anyway, maybe, but anyway, somewhere here, where the coin Gadol, Mishkaf Parhedrin, was actually in the Azara proper, okay? Because this symbolizes your vote is going to be, right, let's not forget, here's you have this, and here's the Kodesh Kadashim, right? So, anyway, right? So anyway, so... His, all of his stuff is going to be in this section of the Mikdash. So his Lishka is here, whereas his stuff is going to be out there on Harabayas, so his Lishka is outside of the other uh, proper. The right, right. We're just quoting the Paraduma for the parallel. We haven't Gadol. got back to the Queen Gadol. Okay. So now we're going to ask where we get any of this idea from. Um, okay. Minani Yiri, where do we get this from that you would separate them out and do this thing? Um... So, Amar Rabbi Yomi Bar Chilkia, Amar Mechasia Bar Idi, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Amar Kra, the Pusuk says, Kasher Asava Yom Azet Siva Hashem Lasot Lechaper Alechem. By the Miluim, they were six, the climbing was separated, separated out seven days, and the eighth day was when they actually went into the Avodah. So there's a night, and they were for seven days, they were in the temple courtyard, the Mishkan courtyard. So there's an idea of being separated out for seven days, spending your time in the temple courtyard to prepare yourself for this new for this service this thing that begins on the eighth day so and at, at the end of it said as God has commanded you this day God has commanded to do to atone for you so that seems like a little redundant puzzle because saying God commanded you to do this as God has commanded so God has commanded what does that mean? so la'aso to, to do in the future means e'la when you do in a similar scenario in the future you should do like you've done today seven day separation for the eighth so la'asot means when you do the paraduma, lechaper to atone, elamasa yom kippurim. That's when you do the avoda on yom kippur. Neither, neither, by the way, paraduma nor yom kippur have been mentioned in the Torah at this stage. But anyway, we understand that it is indicated by the by that verse, and it's a parallel to what was done for when they were the miluim. They were initiated into the service. So the verse says like this. I get it that the whole pasuk can't be referring this like this, so you should do in the future. That that can't be referring just to the paraduma lechaperksi. It says to atone. Although power is called the chatas, okay, it's not coming to atone for anything. It's purifying. By the way, another primary meaning of the word chatas is to purify. It's not about sin. 
but the idea of kapara is clearly about sin, and um, so and that is not is not a, a concept of the para aduma. Okay. Um, Although I should say it's not clearly that sin because Dafka by Yom Kippur the pasuk says the chiperes mikdash hakodesh mi tumos bnei Israel mi pishehem l'kol chatasam so chiper also there means to cleanse Absolutely. and to cleanse okay cleanse from sin but there's an idea of cleansing from tumah mi kol tumasam so it is interesting that they say the word kapara does not apply to the para it's called the chatas but both the word chatas and kapara are in this relationship of cleansing from tuma, not just from sin anyway it says here that kapara is not relevant to para so it cannot be referring just to the para duma how do you know to read it that there's two things maybe it's one thing it's all about kapara and it's all about Yom Kippur so the Mar says no Ami Yalif Tsiva Tsiva. You make Xeva Shava Tsiva Tsiva. Ksiv Hacha Tsiva Hashem Lasot. God commanded to do. Right? Tashir Sabiyom is that Tsiva Hashem Lasot. That's the prophet by the Miluin. Ksiv Hosom, it says by Paraduma, Zosh Kasa Tarashe, Tsiva Hashem Lemor. So this is the good thing that God has commanded. So Tsiva Tsiva. Mal Halan Para Afkan Para. The same way that later Pasuk of Tsiva is by the Paraduma. When it says Tsiva Lasot, it means paraduma, umakantrisha, and therefore, since there was a seven day separation before the miluim, or the process of the miluim, by the paraduma, it is similarly a seven day separation. The Gemara says, the Ema, Tsiva, Tsiva, the Yom Kippurim. I don't get it, says Gemara. Maybe it also says Tsiva by Yom Kippur. We're back to our question. We're back to our question of maybe it's only talking about Yom Kippur. The Tsiva. The Pasuk says, at the, end, at the end of Yom Kippur, Michael's going to read us the Pasuk, and he, um, and he did like God had commanded Moshe. So yeah, says, that's not a good question. So, so, okay, Michael thinks that's a good question, even though he was about to ask it a second ago. No, no, okay. Because the Pasuk by Yom Kippur, where does it say that Pasuk? Mikey, you got the Chomesh? You want to go? Okay. So the Pasuk says, Right, so it's after the entire story of the Avodah Yom Kippur, it says, So that is a Tiva Achar It's after describing the entire act. Whereas by the pasuk by uh, by the miluim it says kasher sabiyom that tiva Hashem laasot the tiva precedes the asiyah tiva laasot and by the paraduma it says those katatarash tiva Hashem the tiva comes at the very beginning so we're looking for a tiva that comes prior to the idea of doing not one that refers to after everything has already been done and that's why we're going to link it to the one of the of the paraduma. Okay, so the Gemara says like this, Why do you say, just separate out for the Avodah Yom Kippur? Maybe the Pasuk here, maybe the Pasuk by, by uh, Paraduma, that you're saying, Lasot, that you're saying refers to Paraduma, refers to that you have to separate out before any Korban. That Kwanim Gadolim, the Kwanim, all Kwanim, before they work their week in the Beit HaMikdash, have to spend a week in preparation. Not crazy, you only work one week, two weeks out of the year, so you prepare a week prior. Why should I say it refers to all the other notes? When God commanded Israel to bring their korbanot, so it's a tziva, it's before lakriv, it's before the asiyah. So why don't we say kasher tziva by yom hazeh means all korbanot? So no, done in tziva mitziva, the end done in tziva mitzavoto mitziva. Because it one says tziva and tziva, it says kasher tziva by yom hazeh, and it says by the miluim those chukatas who are tziva, it's the exact same word, and by korbanot it's a it's a word savoto, not the exact same word. My nafkamina, the Gemara says, what difference does it make? It's more le- it means the same thing. It's just a different conjugation. That time of the baby Rebbe Shmuel, the Gemara loves asking this yeah. question. We teach in the house of Rebbe Shmuel. Now it should be noted that this is Rebbe Shmuel, who is less sort of uh, midaktek on every single nuance as Rebbe Akiva. His approach to interpreting the psukim is a little bit more broad strokes. But nevertheless, he says, It says by Sarat, one pasuk says the coin will return, and the other says he'll come. They're referring to the same thing. You come back to the house. But how do you describe it? He returns to the house or he comes to the house? 
and the, even so since fundamentally it's the same idea even though there's completely different words he's willing to make a Gzei Shava between those two verses so we don't have to worry about the exact content of the Gzei Shava just, just to know he links two very different words Shav and Va because their meaning is the same in this context so you see you can make a Gzei Shava without a precise match so the Gemara says Zuhi Shiva Zuhi Bia returning is the same as coming and he makes a Gzei Shava so Gemara says no Hani Mili Heikadulekadudamile that's when there's nothing comparable to it. When the best we can do is a meaning match, we'll do a meaning match. I will If there's a word that's exactly like it, in terms of the exact form of the word, and we have to choose, do I link it to word A or word B, and word A is precisely the same, and word B is a little bit different, I'll learn it out from something that's precisely the same, rather than something that's a little different. Okay, so lasos means yom means masapara because it says by the para shesiva Hashem um, because by the para it says to azos kachatzor shesiva Hashem anymore. So the siva siva lets me assume that the word lasot is referring to the paraduma and lachaper. So it's really in the end because of the zereshav of siva siva, but we focus it on the word lasot and lachaper means yom hakipur. So funny, now right? yes. So, oh no 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 no. Some zereshav is so random. They can't be random. We have to have right. Some, well, I mean, you can connect sukim well, to the and the Well, right. So I so I should make a point about this, which is you know that because you can make it, you know, zereshav allows you to do anything you want. Um, that's why the basic point is that there is you have to have a Mesorah like going back you know all the way to Sinai but the Ramban asks in uh, his uh, Hasagos for the Rambam say for a mitzvah he says if you need a Mesorah going all the way back to Sinai what the heck is the Gemara asking oh why learn this way why don't you learn that way what do you want that's my Mesorah that's you know goes all the way back to Moshe so the Ramban says that in the end of the day the Mesorah is not exactly what the Gzera Shava is. The Mesorah is, we know, like in this case, we know that there's an idea to do Hafrasha Zayin Yamin for Para, you know, for Para Duma, and you can, and this is based on a Gzera Shava, and that was the Mesorah, that you can learn this halacha from a Gzera Shava, and then we have to figure out what the Gzera Shava is. Okay, but he says it's clear since the Gemara suggests alternatives that you can't say that the Gzei Shava was exactly, you know, the way that that, that was just my Mesorah, because then what are you doing suggesting alternatives? Um, or that there is a halacha to learn out here, Gzei Shava, about a similar pre-show Zayin Yomim. There's, you know, but it's within some boundaries and then we're going to figure out what it is. That actually is quite significant because in general there's a, there's a significant debate in sort of amongst the academics about how much um, you know, when Chazal learned things from Psukim, how much did they really like not know the halacha, and they went to the Psukim and used their hermeneutics to derive halacha that they otherwise did not, had not already, you know, had established, or how much did they already have established practices and established traditions, and then they retroactively went back to de- derive it from the verses. Now, the obvious answer might be, you know, is, is probably both. Like, some things one way, some the other way. You know, some things they had tradition, some things they didn't. But there's still a question of, like, which was the dominant activity? You know, was it fundamentally things that that practice is already established and traditions already established, or fundamentally was it interpreting the Pesukim? So it's interesting, although the second one sounds more, um, you know, heretical. What do you mean? The verse clear. It's learning it out from the Pesukim. You know, it's not calling it an Asmach. It's calling it a real drusha. Nevertheless, like, there are Rishonim, like this Ramban, that basically says no they had a a, a Mesorah that this was the Halacha and the actual learning out from the Psukim came later which doesn't mean it was a rabbinic tradition they believed that this practice went all the way back to Harsinai but the actual Drusha from the Psukim that was post facto um, and it's worth noting that a number of uh, of uh, also like a contemporary like you know um, uh scholars that are, you know, sort of defending Chazal, you know, use, sort of bri- use it to, to defend how come sometimes the drashot sound crazy. Like, you know, like something like this. What? Really? You really want me to believe that Yom Tzavatot Asher Tzival La'asot was really meant to come include what, you know, Paraduma, which wasn't even commanded yet, and so on and so forth? You know, and there's some there that are much, much worse because of this little extra yud, and it could have said Shomer Shomer, it's a Tishmur, Shomer Tishmur. So they say, really? This is really where you get it from? So if the answer is, no, maybe Maybe they already had the tradition, and then this was just a, an after-the-fact way of linking it to the psukim. So you don't have to worry so much that it's not a elegant drasha, okay? But you know, it's important to note that we've shown him say this possibility as well. Well, the real implication seems to me is for psak, like contemporary psak. 
Right. Something analogous, although it's a little different when you already have the practice established as opposed to you know where you want the outcome to come. They had tradition, the tradition wasn't to get it from a specific pasuk, and they're trying to figure out. Right. Somehow, is that you can get it from a pasuk? That's the way the Ramban explains it. Or that they did get more sense, though. What's the thing? It was like I don't know. Right, but you can more generalize the Ramban that you start with the tradition and the activity of linking it to the Mishukim is understood as your responsibility to show how these traditions derive, you know, and ultimately are biblical, but ultimately that's an after-the-fact type of an approach. Anyway, let's get back to the Gemara. The Gemara says like this. Um, okay. So that's where we get Masipara from Siva Tzifa. Now, L'chaper Elu Masi Yom Kippurim. So the Gemara says, Ve'ema Kapara de Karbanot. Back to the Korban, question of Karbanot. Karbanot are all about Kapara. So maybe all Karbanot require a seven-day uh, separation. Um, i got to tell you, thank God we're back in the Bavli. You see this huge Tosvos? All he discusses is why the Gemara wants to learn two things from the same Pasuk and thinks you can learn one thing from... Anyway, it's all about the technical question of how many things to learn. So like we said, but it shortens the da for us quite nicely. Okay, so Ve'ema Kapara de Karbanot. So Miyadina and Haikoi Misrami the Bailei Purisha. What do you mean? You never know which Kohen is going to work that day and work that Korban. So how, how would you know which Kohen would have to prepare a week in advance? So the Gemara says, no, well, Amri, Alama Lo, why not? So, so what? The Mishmeres is divided up into days. You don't even need to get everybody to prepare, everybody for that week to prepare at once. If, my, you know, each Mishmeret, each Mishmeret worked one week out of, you know, um, what, uh, two weeks out of the year. Basically, it was on a 24-week rotation. Okay, so my Mishmeret works is working this coming week, and I'm going to work on, I'm in the Monday Beisav. You're in the Tuesday Beisav. So over there is in the, is in the Wednesday Beisav. Our Mishmeret will be divided into six subdivisions called Beisavs. So I'm going to start my Prisha on Monday. You're going to start it on Tuesday. He's going to start on Wednesday, the week before, and we all know we're going to work one day, right? So you find, you know, that that's the day you and your group of Kohanim are up. So you prepare the week before. Why is that not possible? Prepare the week before. So, Dalim No. You learn that from Milui. Milui is something that it's one fixed day, the day of Milui, day eight. Yom Kippur is one fixed day. Lafuki Korbanos to call Yom Isnu. Korban is not one special day. You bring a Korban every day. So, if we're going to make a big deal of seven days preparation, it's going to be when there's some significance, that is a really special day we're preparing to. Korbanot, which is every single day of the year you have a Korban, is not something you do this big of a deal of a preparation for. Okay? So, the Lord says like this, the Ema Regalim, Okay, maybe so, but maybe still, we should focus on the chaper, on general korbanot, and do a seven-day preparation for or the regal. Regal's a big deal. So the Gemara says no. Maybe a regal is a fixed time, but there are three regalim. But they're all different. Okay. So the Gemara is going to get to that. Okay. So you can't say, again, it has to not just be it's a, it's a special day. It has to be a really special day, only once in the year. Not just it's not daily, but it's not enough to even three times. Only something that's going to be once in the year. So the Gemara says, I know, I know. No more than once a year. The aim of regal echad maybe it should be one particular regal we wouldn't know which regal to, to identify with no I'll give you two good candidates maybe chakamatsos I should say is the most important regal because it starts the cycle interesting he didn't say because of the Korban Pesach you know why because Korban Pesach wasn't a regal Korban Pesach which is what is so central for us was brought the day before the actual regal is chakamatsos and chakamatsos as a regal does not as weighty as Pesach is perhaps the most weighty event during the cycle of the year but chakamatsos is not so chakamatsos the only significance is it's the beginning of the cycle or chakamatsos or maybe I'll say that chakamatsos is most important because there's so many mitzvahs associated with sukkah right Sukkot is really the yantav that gets the most attention in the psukim in terms of all of the mitzvot, Rayita Sameach, and all of that, the Nivu and the Charya, everybody will come, Lachogas Chaka Sukkot. So, okay, I have two good candidates. Now, of course, you could say, okay, so you're stuck with your problem. You wouldn't know which one to pick. But the Gemara still assumes, no, whatever reason, if I, if I had a pasuk that indicated Rego, I would have picked one of these. So, I can still say, maybe it's about getting ready for the Rego, and I'll pick either Pesach or Sukkot. So the Gemara says, no. Um, it's a seven day preparation for a single day of importance you cannot 
say seven days preparation for a seven days for all of Sukkot or all of all of all of uh, all of Chag Hamatzos. Okay, that would be a seven day preparation for seven well, days. Why don't we do the whole thing? Yeah, for the first day, which is the first day of Yom Tov. All right, because uh, that doesn't have an independent identity. Yes, it's Yom Tov, but it's all you the same Chag. I was going to say that. Ve'emashmini. So maybe we should prepare seven days, prepare over Sukkot for the Avoda on Shemini Atzeret, that's seven days preparation for the eighth day, Depreci Shivali Yom Echadu, seven day preparation for one day. No, Dami Dabba She'inkstu She'lufana, Mi Dabba She'inkstu She'lufana. You learn out something that has no sanctity before it, seven days leading up to the Miluim, or seven days leading up to Yom Kippur, it's a Seshim Echuva, but there's no Kedusha in those days. Um, and, then, before, right? and you lint those, okay, but the seven day preparation is not a period of Kedusha. You don't learn out seven days of Sukkot leading up to Shemini Yatzeret, which are days of Kiddushah, days of Yantiv, from a scenario of seven just whole days leading up to the eighth day. So the as says, Kavachomer, who? I don't get it. It's, I can say it's from a Kavachomer. If something has no sanctity before it, like the eighth day of the Miluim or Yom Kippur, it still is so significant that you need to separate out and prepare for it during this period. Something like Shmi Yatzeret that's even more significant. It has all the sukkahs of Kedushah leading up to it. How much more should you need preparation? So the Gemara says no. Um, first of all, first of all, you can say what Kavachomer is that because it has kedusha before it, you don't need to prepare as much for it because you're already in the right mode. As a, but okay, the Gemara understands that that heightens the holiness of Shemini Aseret and should demand more preparation. So the Gemara says no. Amarav Masharsha lo hazeksi kaze. I don't care what type of kavachomers you make. It's not comparable. It says kasher yom hazeh. There has to be like it. So the same way the Miluim is seven non-sanctified days leading up to an eighth special day, so will be by Yom Kippur seven non-sanctified days. I don't care if you make a Kavachomer, Sukkot is not like that original model of seven unsanctified days leading up to the eighth. Searching for the underlying principle here was started by the question of why not do this for all Korbanot. And we're trying to say all Korbanot at least for the regular. That's right. the paradigm. Exactly. Right? Now, of course, one thing we should be thinking about here, and which we'll get to, because the Gemara is going to talk about tomorrow, a different model for the idea of separation, is what is the significance here in terms of like the message it's sending in terms of the avod of the korbanot or avod of Yom Kippurim and also thinking about it as a metaphor or as a uh, model maybe for you know our experience of Yom Kippur the whole idea of a Shuvah as a preparatory period and here we're sort of saying that this is already this whole fundamental preparatory period right but thinking about this as a fun as like certain things you're doing they're so insignificant so special you don't just run into them you need a whole you know immersed period of preparation in order to prepare you for being able to do it and that's certainly the sense of it's only a one day thing you know that you're going to be preparing you know a special one day and you need this whole period to build up for it but let's talk about why now not Shemini Yatzeret so one is just it doesn't fit the model look give me a break Yom Sukkot is more significant than Shemini Yatzeret Shemini Yatzeret is the sort of the Shirayim the wrap up of Sukkot so for Sukkot you don't need preparation how could it be that you need preparation for Shemini Yatzeret even if we say that Shmini is has an independent identity, okay, right? Everybody says it's funny how phrases it. It means even given that we say, but you're right, it is funny. Right? That's about Pezer Kesha, which is an acronym. Okay, but uh, let me just finish the sentence and then I'll tell you what Pezer Kesha is. But when when it comes to making up, it's a making a day of making up for the first day, which means what? Which means that if you did not bring the korban chagiga on the first day, then you can go ahead and make up and bring the korban chagiga on the other days to make up for it. So even though it has independent
dependence, at some level, it is a still the end of Sukkot. Because if you didn't bring your Korbanot, your Korban Chagiga on Sukkot, you can go ahead and bring it on Shemini Atzeret, and that counts for Sukkot. So therefore, yes, it has some independence, but still we can't deny that it is the culmination of Sukkot. And how could it be that you don't need preparation for Sukkot, and you would need it for Shemini Atzeret, which is the end of Sukkot. Now, what is this Pezer Keshet? Let me sort of uh, um, tell you. So the pay, it's a very interesting debate. It's not what the words mean. Um, well, it's not what the letters mean, but what the words mean. So Pezer Keshet is Pius Bifnei Atmo, a lottery. What is that about? We will learn actually later in, in um, actually we'll learn it in Sukkah, that when they had, you know, they had 70 korbanot, 70 cows of the Chag, right, on, um, on um, Sukkot, right, over the, over the Yotav. It kept on, you know, the numbers get, went down, 14, 13, etc. Anyway, on a regal, all of the Mishmarot, all of the Kohanim do the Avoda. So basically, what, and there were 24 Mishmarot. So what they would do is, they would make a lottery on the first day. They divide sometimes the different Avodot of the korbanot by lottery. They'd make a lottery on the first day of Yantav, and they would start with whichever one was randomly picked. Number seven, the numbered one through 24. So then, they divide up the cows, basically, based on, um, based on, you know, you're number seven, you get cow number one. Eight gets cow number two. Nine gets cow number three, whatever. And then you, you know, you divide up who gets which cow of these, of these korbanotes. So if there's 70 cows divided by, 70 divided by 24 is almost three, except you fall too short, okay? So after the end of the seven days of Sukkot, every single Mishmar would have brought one cow, except for the last two in the list. So if we started with number seven, number five and six would have only brought, I mean, everybody would have brought three cows, except five and six would have only brought two. So now you come Shemini Atzeret, bulls, right? I'm sorry, I say cow, bulls, par. Now you come Shemini Atzeret, you figure, oh, Give numbers five and six the opportunity to bring the korban. They're a little bit behind. Right. No, tough luck. Shmini Yatzeret is regal bifniats, but we do a whole new lottery for Shmini Yatzeret. Okay, so we don't consider it just a wrap-up in that way, and we have to start again, even though it's a little unfair to those last two. That's pious bifniatsmo. Um, Zayin is man bifniatsmo. That's easy. You make a shechianu for it, and that's as distinct from the last day of Pesach. Last year, Pesach, you do not make a Shekhyanu. Okay, Resh is Regal Bifneatmo. Now, what does Regal Bifneatmo mean? That sort of begs the question. That's what we're trying to do, is identify the way it's a Regal Bifneatmo. So, Rashi says a couple of different explanations. One is just, it has its own name. Shemini Atzeret. Okay. Another is, um, the, the other is, is that it's different in terms of the mitzvot. You know, lulav and uh, sukkah does not apply. So clearly, it has a distinct identity. Okay, that's that's pezer. Um, the um, kuf is korban bifneatmo. Obviously, the type of the korbanot. You know, if you even notice, the Torah doesn't say uva yom hashmini. It says uva yom hashmini, uva yom hashlishi. It says bayom hashmini. Gives it an independent identity. And the korbanot do not follow the pattern of the fourteen cows and the four and the fourteen sheep and you know and all of that. It has its own korban, which does not follow the pattern of the previous days. That's Kuf. Shin is Shir Bisneatmo. The Shir Shel Yom would not follow the pattern of the previous Shir of the previous Shir Shel Yoms. The Shir Shel Yom of all of Sukkot, interestingly, would be about not about making sure you give your Matnasanim. Because that would be the time that you would gather in. Uh, uh, minute. That would be the time they would gather in um, the, the grain and the Torah emphasizes about, you know, Vager, you know, you know, the, the Levi, the Amanav, you know, the Amanavi. You know, Lotas Venu, make sure that they get the stuff that's left over when you're gathering in the grain. So, therefore, the Shir Shayom of all of Sukkot would be around the Matanas, the, the Matanas Aniyim. On the Shmini Atzeret would be different. Now, Rashi actually is fascinating. Rashi, just taking the time, fascinating Rashi. Rashi says here under Shir, Rashi says, We don't know what its Shir is. Uh, but Tosa says, quotes another, and Rashi elsewhere quotes that it's Lamnaseh Al Hashminit. Okay, but it's not clear exactly what it would be that's the shear and the bet is bracha bisneatmo so what's the bracha so um, so Tos, Rashi says quoting a Tosefta a special bracha they would give the king which is like okay not a really ongoing type of an issue Tosa says the more uh, um, uh, the, the more uh, um, uh, uh, relevant explanation that it means that when you do like Birchas HaMazon or Shimon Esrei and you identify the Chag you don't identify it as Chag HaSukos you identify it as Shmini Chag HaTzeret so there would be anyways that's a summary of some of the different opinions that would all those ways it has independence 
dependence, but nevertheless, it's still tashlumim of the Rishon, in terms of korbanot, and therefore it would be nonsensical to say that you don't have to prepare for Sukkot through the seven-day preparation, but you have to prepare for Shemini Yatzeret. Okay, so we'll see more about this Shemini Yatzeret as a wrap-up or not as a wrap-up um, when we continue tomorrow. <laughs>